if you shave your head. I don't. I don't know anything about like female products. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like I know nothing about what you. Avery's over here so excited about a hairdresser that she bought the other, or a hairdryer, yeah, that she bought the other day, and I'm like, that thing. I I might have to test it out and see if I need one. <laughs> well, that's my point. Is I don't know anything about this. I'm like, what is special about this hairdryer? That doesn't make any any kind of sense to me. But like, grow your hair out. I, something I'm telling you. Oh my goodness, like we all just want things and I can't have, you know, beautiful, long, luscious locks and things like that. I was but, in a, uh, a meeting with my two new bosses who are both bald and I was like, so if I get past a certain point, like, am I going to have to shave my head? Is that how things go Is that right how things work? Is that how we get promotions? I said, do I have, like, am I able to wear a wig, like, outside of work, if that's, if that's a thing? Well, it's kind of like the Rolling Stones always said, you know, you can't always get what you want and, you know... I think Kentucky wanted somebody like Ian Jackson, and I don't think they got them. So, you can't always get what you want. Uh, it is what it is. My name is David, and welcome to the Hoop Southbound Podcast. Hey guys, it's Maddie. And today we are trying out our new wonderful little set here as we try to get more organized in everything that we're doing. If you need any uh, home styles, hit up David Harris Interior Design. Yeah, about to say, David Harris Interior Design over here working... Working their tail off here for some some basketball uh, set. Get the Michael Jordan, the patent designs for basketball hoops and everything. Uh, we're trying. We're trying. I you like know. it. It looks good. Yeah, you know. Also, you know, speaking of style today and everything like that, like, I know this isn't a basketball jersey I'm wearing today or a basketball-themed shirt, but yeah, the Cowboys are playing at time of recording. Like, not yet, but, you know, love my Cowboys, but I decided to try to keep it SEC-themed, and I went with a little bit of Dak Prescott. Okay, there we go. You know, so, like, you know, shout out to Mississippi State for providing us with our quarterback, and hopefully he balls out like he did against Tampa Bay today. Fingers crossed that, you know, everybody who's going to be watching this when it premieres on YouTube on Monday is not like ha ha at me like <laughs> later and trust me I've gone through years of suffering as a Cowboys fan so this is nothing new to me I, I am prepared to have my heart broken again so I mean my Patriots are out of the out of the game so I'm I'm there for the Rihanna halftime <laughs> show this year that that I, is my interest I mean another SEC quarterback who's at least out there Joe Burrow who's playing right now Very so true. we'll see if he beats the Bills today or not um, so that'll, that'll be interesting to check out, you know, so good times. So we're not talking NFL today. We're, we're, we're talking the, what we normally talk about on this show and that's college basketball, college basketball, college basketball. And you know what? I think the first story that we're going to get to is probably Ian Jackson. Now, Ian Jackson earlier this week, five star, he was announced his commitment, I believe during his high school basketball game on either Monday or Tuesday. And he was saying where he was going to go to college and Jackson had three SEC teams on his list, Kentucky, Arkansas, and LSU. Yeah. He ultimately picks North Carolina, which rumors like as the day was going on, it said, everyone was saying it's like, it's pretty much down to Kentucky and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's where everyone was at. And he just, I guess North Carolina impressed him enough. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to go to school where you want to go to school, you know. So I don't really, I don't think this is a horrible thing for Kentucky that they missed out. And they got a great recruiting class coming in next year. I'm sure in 2024 when he, when Ian Jackson would be coming in, they're still going to have good players coming in in there. So I mean, it's a Kentucky tradition to have good recruits, especially yeah. under Cal. Um, so I, I'm not particularly panicked. Any thoughts on this? You know, um, I did question a little bit if, you know, the rumors swirling about Kentucky had anything to do with it. Um, But like you said, you know, 
players are going to play where they want to play. There might have been more chemistry with the coaching staff or some of the players already on the team that swayed him towards UNC. And I mean, can't go wrong with Michael Jordan. So yeah. I think the only thing that North Carolina has, you know, better on their resume compared to Kentucky other than Michael Jordan, because there's been superstars who have come out of Kentucky too. Let's not ignore yeah. that. But Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. But yeah. I was going to say the thing that I think what it, what um, defines the difference between Kentucky and North Carolina right now is recent success. North Carolina going to a national championship game last year is a lot better than where Kentucky was at the end of last year. So I don't know if that plays any factor or not, but like the two programs are very comparable and it's one of those things that come down to personal decisions, uh, you know, like connections, things like that. So, you know, he chose North Carolina, and I don't think Kentucky needs to be super upset about this. They're going to go find other players, and they're probably still going to be a competitive team in 2024 when, you know, time comes for him to be there. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, you know, I feel like they already have solid recruits, like you said, for next season. They have a whole other season to gain recruitment, and, you know, who knows? There could be a player that comes out of the woodwork next year. Yeah. That's going to be part of that class. Yeah, but to say, it's so early right now. You don't know about some of these guys who have been sitting on the bench for their team, and, you know, because they're behind somebody who might already be considered for the 2023 class or something yeah. like that. You don't know who's coming next. So we'll see. It always changes, but, you know, the ratings are going to change, shift, and everything like that, and everybody's got two different thoughts. Jackson is currently considered the number two prospect in the 2024 class, according to 24-7 sports. Something else that happened on the injury front on Saturday in a game I was in attendance for. Saturday, Ole Miss visited Arkansas to play the Razorbacks and Bud Walton. And during that game, Rebels guard Matt Morrell left the game with 14 minutes and 13 seconds left in the second half, and he did not return after a right leg injury. He was stepped on after he planted for a jump. Uh, he... He needed help coming off the floor. I'm going to be honest, when I was sitting there, like, I missed the injury entirely. Like, we were watching the play, and the ball immediately moved to the other side of the court, and it was just, it happened so fast that we, ref blew a whistle. We thought a foul was being called on Joseph Pinion while we were there, and then we're just looking down the other side of the court, and there's Matt Morrell laying over there. And it took me a second, and, like, I couldn't see his number. Like, who's on the floor over there? And I'm just like, that's Matt Morrell. That's yeah. Ole Miss' best player just laying there on the floor. And, you know, the tweets came in that, like, the doctors were looking at ACL stuff immediately. It took him a while to get up, and it was kind of a scary situation over yeah. there. I mean, watching it on TV um, from that side of things, like, you had no clue until they finally panned over, probably after that ref's whistle blew. Um, you know, the one thing I didn't like about this whole situation um, – I was looking up today to try and see, you know, if they've come to any conclusion about what's going on. Um, and the main thing that I saw was in Kermit's presser, he alluded to the injury mainly being because somebody stepped on him. Yeah, not, like, not, uh, you're in the middle of a game, yeah. Yeah, if it's going to be some kind of like ACL, like you can't just try and pin that on somebody else. No. Accidents happen, you know. It's it's contact sport, like you know, like you're not you're not playing tennis where you're not gonna be coming body to body with someone. You're like I know it's not football, but like at the same time, accidents are going to happen on the court, and I don't think anything dirty occurred in there. Um, yeah, Kermit did say though that they would evaluate uh, more on his situation. We're supposed to get some more information sometime today. I just haven't seen the article yet at time of recording or his press conference about the exact status for Matt Morrell. Yeah, I think, um, you know, based on what we find out, it's really going to be 
kind of dependent on how the rest of Ole Miss season's season ends up going. Because, um, you know, if he's out for the rest of this season, it's going to be a rough loss for Ole Miss. Yeah, this is a big loss. This is one of their best players and possibly someone who has some pro potential in the future. So we're, yeah. you know, we're, we're hoping them a speedy recovery and it's not as bad as what it looked like initially. So hopefully everything will be okay for Matt Morrell. Speaking of guys that we don't know exactly everything about their injuries yet, and someone we have nonstop talked about on this show, Nick Smith Jr. We got some news today. Now, it started out completely rumors. Like, no one knew. Like, there was this rumor that on-site Nick Smith Jr. was on campus at the U of A. There were other rumors flying around that Nick Smith Jr. unenrolled at Arkansas, which I'd never seen anything official about. And you know, he's also still 19 year old, years old anyway, and he can't just declare for the NBA draft until you're 19. So, like, it's it's just kind of weird. And so, like, you also saw the rumor immediately, like, oh, he's back at practice. He's back at practice. And then the Instagram story came out, or he put it on his Instagram, and yeah. he's tagging or pinning himself at the University of Arkansas. He's got shorts on and his basketball shoes on. It, like, everybody it made sense that it looked like Nick Smith Jr. was back. Yeah. out there practicing um we found out a little bit more information that eric musselman said that he's back but he's not practicing right now we're still on the same timetable we're talking february but it, it's got to be good news knowing that nick smith jr is back on campus in fayetteville yeah i mean i think this is a big step forward hopefully shows some progression in correcting whatever was wrong with that knee um, you know, at least something that the training staff here can handle rather than being with a specialist. Out in Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> and states and states away. Um, I think another thing that um, we should mention is he was at the game on Saturday. He was. And he stayed on the court and shot around for 30 minutes to an hour after the game had ended. Yeah, so. he's getting himself comfortable yeah. again out there, yeah. I think, I think that's a good sign for Arkansas fans. Yeah, I think it's a really good sign, especially given the portion of the season that they're in currently. Yes, Baylor's next week, and we're going to talk about that game a little bit more when we get to um, our interview for this week and we talk about the Big 12 SEC Challenge that's coming up. But for Arkansas, they're at a spot where they've got kind of the weaker portion of their schedule. So getting Nick Smith back into the into the rotation, it seems like this is a good time to do it, just depending on his timetable and him getting back out there. Like I said, there's so much speculation and, you know, internet trolls out there saying Nick Smith is never going to play another game for Arkansas. But the positivity and, like, listening to what his family's been saying, like, Nick Smith Sr. came on to 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock and just flat out said that he believes his son's going to play again for the Razorbacks. And so I... I until I hear otherwise, or, you know, I, I think Nick Smith Jr., pending the injury recovery, and I know he's rehabbing and he's no longer in L.A., but, like, pending all that stuff, it looks like to me he's coming back. Yeah, I think he wants to at this point. You know, you wouldn't see him try, like, push push himself in that recovery situation to get back to where he can be on campus. How wild is it the times that we live in now to where we just openly admit that a student is not at school? I mean, after COVID, crazy things happen. <laughs> like you can you can take classes from anywhere. Yeah, I, I think a little less after COVID, a little bit more NIL and uh, NBA future superstar <laughs> is what's going on there. But you know, for all I know, he's taking his classes remote. So hey, I'm, listen, I mean, all those Arkansas commercials that come on say you can take classes from anywhere. Anywhere, that's why we got online campuses now. You know, there's there's people taking classes in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah, I'm sure they've got some kind of deal worked out yeah. there to keep his, you know, academic eligibility current with the NCAA and all that stuff. So 
we'll see. I'm not, I'm not working that, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, 19 years old, pushing himself to come back to Arkansas when he was in California. Like, yeah. obviously, he wants to play basketball. 100%. I'd be sitting on the beach for a hot minute before I even came back, so. If I wasn't going to play again. Let's move on to this week's weekly recap. Sounds good. So jumping into our weekly recap, you know, the team I want to start out talking with is the Georgia Bulldogs. And the reason is, is that Georgia's right there kind of at that cusp of being an NCAA or in talks of being an NCAA tournament team. You know, Texas A&M got themselves in the bubble conversation. Florida it was in talks of being... They were in position to be in position to be in position for the bubble, depending on how you want to phrase that, according to a lot of bracketologists this week. I felt like Georgia was trending that way, and especially if they could have gotten a win against Kentucky, but ultimately ended up kind of being a rough week for the Bulldogs, you know, when they ended up losing to Kentucky and Lexington, and then what happened, you know, this week at home. Let's talk about the Kentucky game first. Yeah, um, you know, I think that was a solid game for Georgia. It showed us that they can contend with that top, you know, top-ish ranking teams. I don't feel like Kentucky's there yet, but they're they're on their way back. Um, you know, kind of counted UK out at the first part of that game. Um, and then Oscar Sheboy showed up, giving us some of that National Player of the Year. Historic performance for Oscar Sheboy. Historic performance for Oscar Sheboy. I forget exactly what the stats were right off the top of my head right now, but I know it was everyone was talking about Brandon Miller going for 30 that night. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, if everybody's impressed with what Brandon Miller's doing, you might want to turn it over to the Kentucky game real fast and check out uh, yeah. Oscar Sheboy because that man is playing some basketball right now. And he was killing it. And I mean, I don't know. Terry Roberts was playing a good game for Georgia. Georgia was in an environment where they had a chance to upset Kentucky and it looked like things might start going in the South Carolina direction for Kentucky but like Oscar Sheboy was not gonna let that happen and I mean he had a, he had the he went absolutely nuts yeah. like I, I can't oh amazing. I don't know why I don't have the stats here right in front of me but for some reason left Sheboy's out maybe I was just too stunned at the moment to like write them down <laughs> but <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna have it on the graphic anyway okay. so yeah we're good but yeah Terry Roberts he, he gave it his all, trying to get that Georgia team um, trending in the right direction, but just couldn't pull it out. Um, he had 21 points, five rebounds, three assists to lead the team in all three top stats. Yeah, really really good game for Terry Roberts. Um, it's just unfortunate that he just could not get that win. You just you just want them to get this win, but they just... It, it's, it, it's hard to not cheer for Georgia because they're playing so well as a first-year team. And that's one of the things that I like about them, but they're just going to have to find something because right now they're kind of trending toward that NIT path, which you know what? That's still a good season for year one under Mike White, and I really like what they're doing. Now, the bad news is, is that you have this game on Saturday that you watched against Vanderbilt, and Georgia's home streak came to an end in that game. What did you see during that game when you were watching that one? Man, that one was rough. So it was really just kind of one of those games that Vanderbilt couldn't miss. And then Georgia couldn't make. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that before where Vanderbilt can't miss a shot all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> um, For some reason, it's trending recently. Yeah, it, it's a thing right now. Um, but, you know, they're, they're playing better basketball. I'll, I'll yeah. say this, is that Vanderbilt is playing better basketball. It's just unfortunate when they get to Stegman, for Georgia, a place that they played so well. They upset Auburn earlier this, you know, this season there a couple weeks ago. And then Vanderbilt, who I think a lot of teams are like, 
well, yeah, look what they did in the non-conference. Vandy's terrible. And then Vandy's playing their best basketball of the season right now. They're not the same team as they were, and their record does not reflect that because of how far they're having to pull themselves out of the gutter. So it's, you know, Vandy coming in and making that upset is just crazy, but it's almost not completely unexpected if you've been paying attention. Yeah, I think, you know, after they got the win against Arkansas is really when talks about, okay, Vanderbilt might not be the bottom team in the SEC. Yeah. They As might have, we may have said in other podcasts. Yeah, at one point in time, it looked like they were because they had losses to Grambling State and all these other bad teams. They lost to George Washington. They lost to all these mid-majors, and they just did not look good. And then, you know, now they're starting to play better basketball, and Georgia just caught the wrong end of that. And it's kind of ended, I think, some of their NCAA tournament hopes. That said, they can go get a Q1 win at some point down the road and help their chances out a lot, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. But to me, Georgia's... Georgia's, while they were trending in the right direction, things are kind of pulling back for them now, and it's kind of unfortunate for them because they were on, they were on, they were having a great start to the year under Mike White. Yeah, I mean, like you said, first year under Mike White, they've done fantastic. I think that's all that Georgia fans can ask at this point. It's going a lot better than they thought it would in the beginning of the season. So just anything at this point I feel like is a bonus. No, for sure. So we talked about Kentucky um, a little bit in there. Kentucky has been like, there are two different teams, I feel like. The team before the Tennessee game, which lost to South Carolina and could not get a good win to save their lives. And now this new team with Cal making some changes to the lineup, they just look a lot better. And they've won three games in a row now, Tennessee, Georgia, and now they've claimed on Saturday Texas, a red-hot Texas A&M team there in Rupp. They're playing much better basketball, and i, I got to give my props to Kentucky. Even though Sheboy didn't play his best game against Texas A&M after, I mean, he put up a historic performance against Georgia. So, Cats are playing much better basketball right now. What what are you kind of thinking on their, where they're headed right now? You know, it was kind of, I don't know if we want to say just like, set the restart button after they played Tennessee, but it's like a whole new world for them. I think we see a much better Kentucky team as the season continues. Um, You know, you have all those players, especially those that came back that didn't have to in Oscar Shibway. Um, And I don't know, I think at this point we see them start to really grind out the rest of the season to make themselves have a better position when it comes to March. I think that they have a very serious chance of making an eight seed based on the way that they've been playing in the future. I'll, you know, I'll talk to more of the bracketologists about it. And we're going to, you know, have Bracket Dom here on the show pretty soon, and we'll talk to him about Kentucky's situation and what their season ceiling actually is. But they've got some big games coming up, and that Tennessee game on the road is no joke. That's a great win to start getting them back on track. And now that they're winning at home, it makes a difference. So it's going to be interesting to see as teams go into Rupp and when Kentucky goes on the road, what wins that they can pick up to build that resume and see how high they can actually build their their best seating for the NCAA tournament in March. Because right now, I think Kentucky, regardless of what Joe Lenardi says, I think Kentucky's in right now probably as a lower seed for a power conference team. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And for Texas A&M, that loss on Saturday meant the end of their winning streak. It, it's unfortunate. I mean, like, they, they were playing really good basketball for the most part. I mean, let, I mean, let's break this down. The Aggies lost to Kentucky. 
And the reason I feel like they went on that winning streak up to the Kentucky game is that they had a pretty favorable SEC schedule to start things out with. Yeah, I would I would agree with that one. You you take, you know, I don't even want to say the bottom half. Because no. There were there were some decent teams in there. Um, so maybe bottom half. I was going to say bottom third, but, you know. Um, I think we get uh, get to see more of A&M's harder-fought games and see what they're really about um, as we get closer to March after this first portion of the season. Yeah, they've got a much rougher stretch in front of them. I mean, like, they've got Auburn coming up. They've got Vanderbilt, who's been playing decent basketball, as we mentioned a, a little while ago. And then they got to go to Arkansas to play in Bud Walton at the end of the month. Like, it's not easy right now. These are not going to be just simply simple wins for A&M at all. They've been playing better. Let's see if they can pick it up and this is just a road bump for them or if this is going to be the bigger trend that now they're having to play some better teams. They're going to kind of pull back. I, I thought it was very interesting what was said on the SEC Network during the um, Tennessee game is that time will either um, will either raise you up or bring you down depending on because it'll yeah. expose you you know time will expose you and it'll i think that's where the aggies are right now is that they've had a favorable schedule schedule but when they go through the rest of this are they going to be where we think they're going to be or are they just going to kind of fall back toward the middle where we expected them to be or maybe even further down i don't know yet yeah i agree with that i think you know i will talk more about the game later but i'm marked down you know a&m against auburn it's going to be the true truest test that we've seen a&m take on absolutely this season yeah, yeah they're on the road against a top 25 team and a very good one at that mm-hmm. one that's probably in the top at least if you if you don't agree with our power rankings because we had auburn three last week and i think they're going to stay there and when we discuss that later i i think that at least top five right now in the SEC. So they're going to go play one of the better teams in the conference. So we're going to go see that. It's kind of weird for Auburn, right? Because, like, they're this team that, like, no one's really talking about, but they're very quietly just a one-loss team in conference play. And it's almost like because we've forgotten about them because their non-conference schedule was just so blah. You, You won the games you were supposed to, and then you lost some that maybe were a little bit more 50-50 and like just never did anything super impressive during the non-conference and now here you are all of a sudden only a one-loss team but you know ha- almost through the first month of conference plays so it's weird you know <laughs> like for Auburn and you know I like you said we kind of brushed them off and kind of like we did I feel like it was Auburn Mizzou we both brushed both those teams brushed off because yeah. of their non-conference schedule now Was... we come in we're like oh they might not be so bad. They might not be so bad. They, they may not. Yeah. So uh, do you think the Aggies, though, are going to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament? I think um, they're, they're in a good position to be a lower seed. Um, definitely, definitely looking at a bubble team, I think, as long as they can keep playing the way that they've been playing. They've got to play the way they've been playing. They've got to get some wins along the way because that non-conference schedule, a lot of those games are going to come back and bite them later. Yeah. And that was the whole reason we ne- I didn't move A&M up in my power rank because I just kept looking at their resume and going, it's not that impressive. There's not, like, I get they're winning, but it's not that impressive. Like, I promise you, just go look at the resume. <laughs> a couple of, couple of bad yeah. things are going to bite them later. So we mentioned that A&M is going to have to go to Bud Walton. Let's talk about Arkansas's week. So the Hogs, it was kind of like, I felt, a week of two games. The I first, agree with that. The first game 
against Mizzou. I'm I'm going to I'm not going to talk about the officials right now because we we, we said we were going to talk about that in a, a little bit later. So like we'll uh, let's put that aside right now. Can you? <laughs> it's really hard to. It it really is hard to. It was a must win game for both teams. Yeah. It, and if it wasn't a must-win game, it was a very important game because you got Mizzou, who's on a little bit of a losing streak. Arkansas is on a, on a losing streak. Both teams come in. They got to play in Mizzou Arena, and they have this game that you expect to be a very physical, fun basketball game yeah. because it's not easy to win on the road. You know, Mizzou's got a real chance to beat a top twenty-five team in their house again and do things that you know to really elevate that resume that they have. Unfortunately, it became a whistle show. Just at the end of the day. And I don't care which side that you're on. Mizzou, Arkansas, it was an absolute wishful show. 56 fouls is just crazy. I mean, when you have... That's the ES- stat of the night. Yeah. Like, that's the stat of the night. Is when you that have ESPN yeah. posting videos and saying this was a call. Like, something's going on. Yeah, Barstool Sports even put one of the, one of the calls on there where it was Makai Mitchell not touching, you know, yeah. And it's like, I think that was the play he fouled out on, and they were like, is this the worst call in basketball history? And I'm like, yeah, that one's pretty bad, but, like, let's go down the list. There's plenty in this game. You got the Debo Davis tackle, which, to me, in that situation, like, they should have reviewed that, and I don't know why they didn't review it. Now, I'm looking at this was a little bit of homer eyes because, no joke, Arkansas fan. But, like, when I saw it, I was like, I think Debo's reaching for the ball. But, like, the guy who knows basketball in the back of my head is that I'm thinking to myself also, they need to look at this. And I have no idea why the officials went over there and looked at a different play or if they can't look at both. Because I know Dennis, it sounded like Dennis Gates wanted to look at a different play that happened earlier. But I think he wanted to do both. Like, I think he wanted to look at that play and the tackle that as it's going, the Debo tackle as it's being referred to. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those might have needed to be looked at. And then you've got, you know, feet on the line clearly in the restricted area. I mean, plain as day with Debo Davis charging down the lane to try to get a, you know, a pass off and try to go to the, go to the goal. Very much feet planted halfway. Like, there's no question those feet were on the restricted area. And then the issued apology by the SEC saying, yeah, that could have been reviewed. And it's like, yeah, that would have been a game. I don't know if Arkansas still wins the game or not, but, like, Debo Davis is shooting free throws instead of being fouled out of the ball game. Like, that's – and Debo Davis was having a great game for Arkansas. So – and I'm not going to take anything away from Mizzou in this game because I felt like Mizzou played a pretty good ball game even though their fans are like, no, we, we really didn't. And I'm like, no, you need to break down those numbers a little bit. Arkansas's defense is, three-point defense is pretty good, which is why Mizzou was having a hard time hitting the threes they've yeah. grown accustomed to seeing. And they still played well. Kobe Brown probably had his best game against Arkansas in his career. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. I th- yeah. I do think, um, you know, you mentioned Devo. I guess he's just tired of losing because he stepped up. This oh, game, he stepped, stepped up. up so much, yeah. yeah stepped up in the game against Ole Miss. Um, so I think we see, I hope we see, Devo taking on that leadership role the rest of the season and hopefully, you know, keeping keeping his feet planted. Haha, not, not as funny as it should be. But <laughs> planted and he doesn't make as many dumb mistakes as we usually see yes, Devo I, tend to do. Back on the Arkansas topic, I'm with you there. Let me just say real fast about the Mizzou game. 
Isaiah Mosley in the bench for Mizzou was also fantastic in that game. There was a lot of good scoring out of there. So I don't want to I don't want to walk away from that before we you know get to the actual Mizzou conversation. For Arkansas though, in that game against Ole Miss. Debo Davis played great. The other thing that I kept seeing is Joseph Pinion. How many times have I talked to you about that Joseph Pinion has a fantastic offensive rating and he's going, he's playing decent ball. Like, I don't understand why he's not a bigger part of this offense. They set down Ricky Council in that Ole Miss game and put Joseph Pinion in and Joseph Pinion played good basketball. He made one bad play where it was like, like where he got the ball underneath the rim on the break and he yeah. messed up there. But then the next play, he comes back and makes it a corner three. I think he made two corner threes in a row at that point. You know, so it was Joseph Pinion showed that he can play and that he's mature enough to forget a bad play. And to me, like, clearly this is the direction you need to be going yeah. because this is one of your better offensive players. And I thought he played pretty good, pretty good defense that night. There was one play, I remember my friend Chris and I were sitting next to each other. I'm like, they put, like Ole Miss tried to put Joseph Pinion and ISO, just like Auburn put Joseph Pinion and ISO. Yeah. And he did everything right. The Ole Miss player still hit that mid-range shot, but me and Chris are going, that's good defense. Yeah. There is nothing you can do. Like, that shot's going to fault sometimes. Like, sometimes you play good defense and still lose. That's basketball. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we see this Arkansas team play phenomenal defense, and you still have teams that shoot 40 50 percent 75 percent and a half yeah okay (laughs) still a little salty yeah but you know it's gonna happen you're playing against other good teams that are gonna have good shooters as long as you play good consistent defense i think we see the hogs go further hopefully further than we well thought from a couple weeks yeah we'll see what happens with them let's get off the arkansas topic we're gonna be talking more later i know that you know people get tired of us talking about arkansas we live here we're sorry um (laughs) But let's get to Mizzou a little bit. So, obviously, that was a huge win in Como against Arkansas. They had a big week to get some good wins to really help their resume. The Arkansas win was good. That was a good win. Unfortunately, it's now a quad two because I believe where Arkansas is ranked in the net, it's fallen back. Now, if Arkansas should rise up, that'll help Mizzou's situation. But they had a clear quad one opportunity against Bama and Como. And I think we saw literally the worst shooting performance Mizzou has had all season. Yeah, I think um, that's a game I did not watch, but I feel like every single time I checked ESPN, I was like, is this just not loading or is the shooting performance just that Is Mizzou really bad? shooting 5% yeah. from three? Yeah, that's yeah. that was bizarre. They, they obviously didn't have Kobe Brown in that game, and I think that made a difference. I know there were Bama fans like hounding me going, it's like Mizzou can't buy a three right now. It's like, it's because Bama's defense. Don't get me wrong. Bama's playing good defense, but like Mizzou's missing point blank wide open threes out there. And it's like, I'm not seeing them. Yeah. No, they're missing point blank ones too. Like Bama's playing good defense and Mizzou can't shoot. Both things can be true today. Like they're not, they're not doing their normal. Like I miss, I watched them miss wide open kickout threes. I watched them miss point blanks. I watched them miss everything in that game from deep. And I think not having Kobe Brown and a presence in the paint affected the way that they were playing. And then, you know, you also got Bama's length, size, speed, that you know, speeding the game up because both these teams are extremely fast. It was just a rough game for Mizzou, and I don't – it's, it's kind of hard right now to know where Mizzou is headed because, yes, the Arkansas win is big. It's crucial. It's, it's a very good win. Unfortunately, it's at home, so it means less in your resume – and then you've got the Alabama game, which is now another loss that you've chalked up. You've got some good quad one wins, but your resume is not super impressive. 
uh, overall, and Mizzou's kind of trending back toward that bubble line is what I've seen a couple bracketologists talk about. Your thoughts on where Mizzou is headed right now? I think I agree with the bubble. You know, I've been pretty harsh on them up until this point. Um, But I think we see this Mizzou team start kind of trending downwards. Um, Not not to say just, you know, looking at their... Their season's over. It's done. (laughs) Yeah. Looking at their resume and the games that they have moving forward. um, Yeah, you've got Ole Miss, which is at Oxford, but it's a good chance to bounce back. And then you've got the Big 12 Challenge with Iowa State, LSU, which is a good opportunity, Mississippi State, which might become crucial later in the bubble conversation, South Carolina, it's not going to be a good win one way or the other. You just need to make sure you don't lose that game. Then your really big opportunities next are Tennessee, Auburn, and Texas A&M. So those are important games. And two of those teams, I don't know if you necessarily come out with a win in Knoxville or you know, Neville, you know, yeah. so that's, that's rough. Yeah. And I think we see Mizzou slip up once or twice in between now and then just based on the way they've been playing. If they, if you take anything from this Alabama game this weekend, like you said, Kobe Brown was out and I want to say it more so mentally affected them than anything else because you saw them kind of lose their head as to what, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Who's, it... who's taking point, who is, you know, who's going to score all of our points for us, basically? Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. Who's the guy? Yeah. And then, you know what? Kobe Brown, you know, big. he's a good player. But Mizzou plays good team basketball, and that's where they need to figure things out, is that you don't need a superstar to necessarily win a game. Do you want someone to step up for you every game to be the guy in the moment? Yeah, that would be great. I think right now that guy is Isaiah Mosley for Mizzou, and I think he needs to see a little bit more of the starting lineup, especially with Kobe Brown out. And he needs to be your number six man when Kobe Brown does come back. I think, though, with the Kobe Brown situation, that was a decision to heal up for that. And so for the bigger games later down the road, he's not hurt. So a little bit of injury management there for Mizzou, I think, was my understanding in that situation. Overall, though, Mizzou's still playing decent basketball, and I think they're probably going to see some form of postseason. They're either going to be a low seed in the NCAA tournament. If they should miss, I think the NIT is on the table for Mizzou. Yeah. So that, that becomes a pretty good situation. I think there's a lot of positive things for them to take away. Let's talk about the Tide. I mean, what's their talk about? They're, they're number one? I think they're the number one team in the country. Yeah, I, I, I'll go as far to say that they're the number one team in the country. Look, there are some good teams out there. There really are. Purdue, and then you've got, also in the conversation, Houston, and then you've got in the conversation, Kansas. Tennessee, to me, is the number five team in the country. I That's based on a lot of the conversation I've had with other, you know, bractologists, things like that. They should be the number five. But you've got Kansas, who lost to Tennessee in a head-to-head I don't understand, like, even with the quad one wins, the head-to-head should mean something. Yeah, yeah I, I think it does, especially when teams have comparable records like that. And so that's another reason I don't understand why Houston is being talked more about for a number one, not a number one team in the country, than Alabama, who beat them in Houston. Yeah. That's very confusing to me. Like, I don't understand why everyone seems to be favored on that. Purdue, to me, has the best argument against Alabama to be the number one team in the country, but... I have been less than impressed with Purdue as time has gone on. And I do think that without Zach Eady, if you if Purdue were to lose Zach Eady, they would be lost. Yeah, I think at, at that point, when we talk about that conversation of if 
Purdue would be number one or Alabama, I feel like we look kind of like at our power rankings, like go through, look at resumes. Okay, would Alabama beat these teams that they've beaten? Would Purdue beat these teams that Alabama's beaten? I feel like that's a no. I feel like Purdue, like just talking about the difficulty of schedule Mm -hmm. is further down the list in Alabama. There's, There's different ways to look at who the number one team is. And I, I know that there's one philosophy where you look at it, would this team beat every team in the country? And would this team beat every team in the country? I think head-to-head should matter a little bit, especially yeah. when you win on the road in that in that kind of situation. And to me, Alabama's the best team in the country. And my question just at this point is when I look at Purdue and when I look at Alabama, if you took the team's best player away, how who would win that game? Or how many games do they actually win? I think Bama's a much deeper team. And if you take Brandon Miller out of the lineup for Alabama, you still have Noah Clowney, you still have Mark Sears, you still have all these guys. If you take Zach Eady out for Purdue, where are we going? Where are we going? So we mentioned earlier that the officiating in the Mizzou-Arkansas game was not our favorite that we'd ever seen. That was probably honestly the most incompetent crew I've ever seen on a basketball court. But... In all honesty, we're seeing a trend in the SEC where I feel like we're going in a direction that we should not be going with the officiating. Before we start this conversation, if you were to sum up SEC officiating right now in a single word, what would it be? Atrocious. Atrocious. Okay, that's that's where you would put it. That's where I would put it. Uh, I would put it as high volume. Maybe put a dash there in the middle of it. You know, a high volume to make it one word. It's... It's ridiculous. Um, So we can go on both sides of that. Like, we're the high-volume thing. In the SEC last year, we saw an average, I believe, around 36.6 calls per game, according to an article from KSR. Um, The article was called the SEC. It just means more dot, 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 fouls, or in parentheses, fouls, or however they wrote it. And that article was based at the time of when the, or that the numbers at the time the article was written, which was in February, I believe. So we don't know exactly, I've been trying to find it, I haven't located it exactly how many fouls we ended up with on average. But they also broke down further into the numbers that like on average the SEC had a thousand more fouls or close to a thousand more fouls than the next conference who was on that list. The vault, the whistle was blown extraordinarily high last year in a year in which fouls were actually down across college basketball. The SEC was the grand leader of the power six. So it's just strange. And so I made a short little list of games. I just found just looking, looking at them about games in the last 10 days or so, and probably give a little bit of room for error here because like, I just found them and wrote them down as, as I located them over the last week or two. And these are games that are all over last year's average. Arkansas-Mizzou, 56 foul calls. Kentucky-Georgia, 43 fouls. Vanderbilt-Arkansas, 50 fouls. Alabama-Vanderbilt, 39 fouls. Ole Miss-South Carolina, they're at 36, which was pretty much where the average was. And then you've got Tennessee-Kentucky, 42 fouls. And then you've got LSU-Alabama, which was a blowout, mind you, 39 fouls in that game. This is just things I'm seeing even here lately, but it's not just the volume. All those games accorded like in the last 14 days, and they all exceeded last year's average for foul calls in the SEC. I don't get it. Like, 
Fouls per game last year were 16.6 across college basketball, and the SEC was over that last year too. And right now, there's eight teams in the SEC that are over that 16.6 mark from this time last year. I don't get it. I don't either. Like, the only thing I can see is, yeah, the SEC plays a little rougher. They're a little more competitive. But, I mean, you have other elite divisions that are nowhere near those numbers. No. Nowhere close. And then you look at, I was looking through Twitter, you know, just trying to get a feel for, okay, is it just me because I'm in Arkansas and we seem to always have the most fouls ever. And there were other fan bases along the SEC that were also having problems. So I said, okay, it's not just me. No, it's, it's not. SEC officiating in general. Yeah, it, it's it's really not. Georgia and Kentucky fans were both upset with the officiating in the game in which Kentucky won. There was a clearly missed travel call that stood out to me on Oscar Shibwe where he picked up his pivot foot in the paint. That gets missed sometimes, but it was so – he was on the outside of the movement, and I don't know how the ris- – there's no one around him on both sides. Like, he's not surrounded by players and then picked up the pivot foot. The pivot foot's on the backside yeah. where it's much more clear to see. And, and the officials didn't make the call. We talked about the Debo Davis tackles. Like, why was that not reviewed? And then we've got them just not knowing – game situations like also in that Mizzou game we had seen you know in the Arkansas Vanderbilt game like Arkansas was the beneficiary but like how many free throws are you getting toward the end of this like I get this is a mess but like there needs to be a little bit like putting together and there are some reps out there and the first name that comes to my mind is Doug Shows like I don't know like he seems to be like a part of all of these but like there's several reps out there and other crews that it just I don't know why the whistle is just being blown so much in these in these situations, and then they're blowing it like crazy, but missing obvious stuff, yeah. obvious calls. I I just I don't know. Hopefully, you know, after so many people have made such a big deal with about it the past few weeks, we'll see some sort of change. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you know, hopefully they can get it under control. I I totally agree. Hopefully they do get it under control. But I, I don't know if they will, and I think it's just going to depend on the crew that you get on certain nights. By the way, I want to clarify earlier on that missed call, a travel is clearly not a penalty or a foul, and that's yeah. not what we're talking about with those numbers. Those don't calculate in those numbers, but we're talking about missed calls yeah. in that regard. Just officiating. Just officiating overall in that one. But, like, you know, with the fouls, yeah. with the fouls, back to that subject, some crews, though, in the SEC, it's just mind-boggling because you also see a wide range of inconsistency because you have reps who are calling a very low amount for that crew. Like a couple of games stood out was like Auburn and I believe it was midweek. Who did they play midweek? Was it LSU? They played LSU and Auburn. That was a very low called game. There weren't many fouls in that. Arkansas Ole Miss was nowhere as called foul heavy as we'd seen Arkansas games previously. And we saw Eric Musselman even comment. It's like, we didn't change the way to, you know, we did anything. So I, I don't know how that's going to work. Hey, I just got some breaking news in here. Uh, we're talking about that number one ranking. A buddy of mine just texted me. I got to check the score here in a second, but apparently Houston just lost to Temple. Wow. That's that's a shock. Alabama fans, back to that number one conversation. So we'll we'll get back to that in a minute. That's We'll talk about that more at the end of the show about, like, that's got to open up a clear path for Tennessee to get a one seed and maybe – Alabama getting getting the number one team yeah. ranking in the country. Yeah. At least Temple one, 
Temple won 56 to 55. Kansas and Houston going down in the same weekend. That's so big. Back to our conversation we were having. Like, yeah, I don't know how players can prepare for games with the way that things are being officiated right now. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, like, you don't want to be that person that always blames the refs in a situation. No. But when the officiating is terrible and everyone across the conference can see that officiating is terrible, I feel like it adds more impact to how you look at who's the best team, you know, did we really lose that game or... Yeah. I don't know. I would almost rather take an Arkansas-LSU game where you have... Yes, very, very few fouls. Very few fouls called a much more physical game. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I'd rather see that. And to me, personally, I think any game that goes over 40 fouls is just a little excessive. Yeah. Now, there might be some games that warrant it, but like if there's over 40 fouls in a game, it better be warranted. That's that's my personal opinion. Like You should never see that. You just shouldn't. I will just say, Maddie's Me Monday is going to have some SEC officiating uh <laughs> themes to it so that'll be fun that'll that'll be a lot of fun by the way uh tweet us your favorite missed call of the season like just send us a video that we'll make a compilation of missed calls at the end of the year with officials oh that'd be really fun all right let's uh (laughs) let's let's move on i just realized i had a pretty good joke in my uh in my notes here but i just didn't you know did you break your arm did you break an arm rub some dirt on it and play on <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about some of the biggest games of the week this week's interview is brought to you by SeatGeek. right now you can get 20 dollars off your first purchase at SeatGeek. that's like a free ticket maddie i'm, I'm just saying it's not a bad deal take a date to a concert take your boyfriend girlfriend wife significant other to a game doesn't matter too easy no sweat Right now, all you got to do is use the promo code VSN. Again, that promo code is VSN. And today, we welcome to the show Phil from the 1012 Network, podcast network that covers all things Big 12. Who else better to talk to about the SEC Big 12 Challenge? How are you doing today, Phil? Doing well. Honestly, this this uh, this upcoming Saturday has snuck up on me. I don't know how it is. It feels like it was just the start of January, and yet here we are, because this thing happens at the end of January every year. I don't, it, it been so focused on big 12 play. And now we've got what I think is something that I, college basketball fans. And I know big 12 fans look forward to every year because it's such a unique thing to slap this thing in the middle of the conference schedule and have this conference on conference battle. I love it. I, I love it. I love the attention that it gets. I love the way it's set up. So every games on ESPN and you dominate the whole network for an entire day. It's a beautiful thing. Oh yeah, no, who else, you know, you got to love a tech takeover, especially for a kind of a matchup that's much more regional than some of these other challenges are. Uh, let's talk about a couple of these games. I know we got some big ones to, you know, to talk about with Tennessee and Texas and then Kentucky and Kansas getting together, but like, let's start off with one that's a little bit less known. What do Auburn fans need to know about West Virginia? This is a West Virginia program that. And West Virginia fans will argue that, no, it's awful, it's terrible, it's no good, it's very bad. And I mean, they just went through a really tough football schedule and football season, and now they're undergoing a very tough and difficult 
men's basketball season, and they're going to tell you that the, the team is awful. And they are dealing with some issues. I mean, obviously they fired uh, their assistant coach, Larry Harrison, who had been with the program for like 16 years or so. He'd been there for a long time. He was a longtime assistant of, of Huggins, and now he is gone. They've got a new replacement coming in from Cincinnati for him. And so this does feel like a program that's dealing with a lot internally. But uh, the thing about West Virginia is when you have 10 teams – and you play a two-team round-robin with everybody, right? Someone's got to take losses. And typically in the Big 12, we usually have at least one or two maybe bad teams. And I say bad in in relation to the rest of the Big 12. You know, you have some teams who sit at the bottom who maybe go winless or only win two or three games. And if they've been in another conference, they would have won more. This year, right now, West Virginia and Texas Tech feel like the two teams that are – and it's not that they're bad, but – in the Big 12, they're just the worst of a really deep and gnarly and disgusting conference where two years in a row, the worst team in the Big 12's net rating is better than half of some other power six conference team. So for West Virginia fans, they're like, well, we're terrible. We suck. We're no good. It's awful. And one in six in conference play, I, I understand that. Um, but I do think this is a better than it looks team. Here's what I'll say. Um Shout out to CBB Analytics. They provide us with a lot of really good information. Um, if we want to just go off general net rating, which I think everybody kind of understands how net rating works, net rating in conference play, uh, West Virginia is of the 13th percentile. It's negative 6.7. It's bad. That's not that's not a good thing. You don't want to see that. Overall, for the full season, for the full schedule, 77th percentile at plus 11.4. That, that's, that's how tough it is in the Big 12. And that sounds really bad with that Big 12 rating, but most of the conference is in a bad spot. Iowa State in conference play is in the 85 percentile in that rating. Everyone else is 55th or lower that's in conference play. So I want that as the setting of West Virginia is having a tough year, and they are. But this, don't let the record fool you. I know Auburn is good. I know that they're ranked. This is a solid and well-coached, as always, Bruce Pearl team. This game is in in Morgantown. I was like, why I thought that wasn't the right place. Uh, this game is in Morgantown. I should need to tend to play well at home. I'm not, we usually see a couple of upsets in this challenge every year, a couple of games that don't go the way that we expect. I'm not sure I'm going to pick West Virginia, but this game should be closer than I think most SEC fans coming into it would expect when you see a 16 next to one team and an 11 8 record next to the other. I mean, I, I think it's always, you know, incredibly difficult to win on the road. So the, that makes sense, and I know that they have a great environment there in West Virginia to play in, so that, that could be a very tough game for the Tigers, and we've seen them fumble against teams here in the SEC, like against Georgia, for instance. So it, it, it's definitely a possibility that could become one of those upsets. Maddie, do you want to ask about the uh, Tide and Tide Sooners? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, so, you know, David and I have kind of already discussed a little bit today how we think Alabama is going to be the number one team, or they should be. So, you know, if we're looking at number one team against a slightly struggling Oklahoma team, how do you think this game's going to go? And do you think Oklahoma's going to have any special game plans for this Alabama team? So, two things I'll say. First, to the Alabama content or comment, I get it. Team loses, we have to drop them. That's the way it works, right? Um, obviously, Kansas getting blasted by 20-plus at home to TCU, they're going to drop. Houston losing a weird, ugly game to Tulane, who is unranked. Sure, 
it doesn't really change my Houston that much. If you're going to drop them because they lost, that's fine. Uh, Purdue didn't lose, so I'm not sure why Alabama would jump Purdue, but whatever. My, my biggest point as a Big 12 podcast who also covers the four incoming schools as best we can is I understand that they're going to drop Houston because they lost to Tulane. Uh, my opinion of them has not changed by that loss one way or the other, and I would be perfectly fine if they stayed perfectly pat. And that is not a, they're soon to be a Big 12 brother, and so I'm biased towards them. I just that's just my view on things is especially in basketball. You have so many games, like one loss doesn't mean a whole lot all the time. Now you lose by 20 plus at home. Yeah. You're going to drop. But other than that, whatever, as far as this particular game between Alabama and Oklahoma goes, this is an Oklahoma team who, well, first off, do we get Alabama, Oklahoma a lot in this challenge? Like I, I haven't gone back and looked at the meetings, but I swear uh, they just played this like twice year, in the last it? three yeah. years. <laughs> like I know we get Kansas and Kentucky most of the time if they don't play in the like uh, Champions Classic or whatever the start of the season. But OU Alabama it feels like one we're getting a lot. Like it's just an SEC preview is what they've been doing. It's just foreshadowing. Um, beating around the bush here. Oklahoma is a team who, man, off defensively. Uh, this is a team whose offense was really good and seems to be slowing down in conference play. Uh, it's a team whose defense has been okay and slowing down in conference play. Here's OU's biggest problem. Um, I don't feel great about them in this matchup, but the biggest issue for Oklahoma is they cannot close games out. They cannot close games out. They are getting absolutely beaten in the last five minutes of games on a regular basis. We are, we are watching them each week be in games, be competitive against Oklahoma, against Oklahoma state being up in these games late into the midway through the second half. And they just can't finish. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but this is a team that cannot finish games. It's why their record in big 12 play is what it is right now with just a couple of wins. Um, I think this is a good Oklahoma team. I just think it's an Oklahoma team that, it's got problems. It, I, I don't. I still haven't figured out why they can't close out games. I don't think anyone really has been able to yet. Um, I'll say this: if Sheffield gets going, if he gets hot, he'll keep him in this game for a while. But if you shut him down, kind of like what we saw uh, against Oklahoma State and Bedlam uh, earlier this past week, uh, he he was completely ineffective the second half, and Oklahoma State was able to to come back from behind, build a lead, and 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 blow that one out. So um, I would not pick Oklahoma in this game, even though they are at home. But we'll see. It's totally reasonable. I understand where you're coming from. Um, so the next one was one that I think at the beginning of, or two weeks ago, it looked like it was going to be possibly a top 25 matchup. I don't see Mizzou necessarily getting back into the top 25 this week. We'll have to see what the pollsters do tomorrow. But Iowa State and at Missouri is one I'm a little bit interested in. From a three-point standing, how would you say that, or three-point shooting perspective, how would you say Iowa State's defense would fare against someone like Demoy Hodge and the game plan that Dennis Gates has kind of set up with at Missouri? Well, I mean, honestly, Iowa State's defense, it's the best defense in the Big 12, period, hands down. Um, and one of the best defenses in the country, Oklahoma State would be would be second in the Big 12, in my opinion. And I think Iowa State's defense has been really, really good, and they've done well against the three. The question for Iowa State um, in this game moving forward, Iowa State's offense to start conference play has been absolutely hot and has kind of cooled off against Oklahoma State. Like I said, good defense. But they've got to figure out what they're going to do 
if and now that I'm dragging this out because I can't remember his name for the life of me, which is really sad that I'm on this podcast and trying to do this. And if you give me a second, I get Caleb Grill. <laughs> uh, Caleb Grill <laughs> played only a few minutes in the second half against Oklahoma State in that uh, loss on Saturday. They were up big in the first half, 16 points, blew that lead, and eventually lost to OSU, who also plays really good defense. We got a just a slugfest of a game. Caleb Grill has been having some back issues. Um, his back has been tightening up. He's not playing as well. I think he's not only their most effective three-point shooter, I think he's their best three-point defender. Um, I think how healthy he is for this game. And they've got a huge game against Kansas State on Tuesday. Um, so, I, I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about a game on Saturday against Missouri, which is interesting, but they've got a game with currently sitting atop the Big 12 Kansas State on Tuesday that's massive for them. And that's going to have all their attention. So they're not even going to be worried about Alabama between now and then. If Grill is healthy, Iowa State's in this game, and, and they will do well against three. If Grill is not healthy, they will still be good defensively. Like I said, um, in Big 12 play, they've got an 86% defensive rating. Overall, it's 98 percentile. Like, it's really, really good. I'm just curious how Grill is. If he is healthy, Iowa State will absolutely be in this game. This will be a fun and exciting game. If he's not... I believe enough in Iowa State's three-point defense, but if you can hit him like OSU did because Grill's not playing as well or isn't playing, they're beatable. Makes it well, that's a name that we definitely need to keep an eye out for now. Now, we were talking a little bit about this before we started the recording. You were interested in the uh, Texas Tech-LSU game, were you not? I am. I am. Yeah. There's always those matchups we look at and go, this is what's going to happen. Right. And his game is in, it's in Baton Rouge, LSU 12 and seven, nine and three. This looks like a, a, a decent LSU team. Texas Tech's now at 10 and nine. They haven't won a game in conference play yet. They're sitting down there. The last team without a win, they're 0 and seven in Big 12 play. But, and I, and I do, we can set the, uh, my concerns about what's going on in the locker room aside for now. But I, I am intrigued by this because, Texas Tech is a pain in the butt. They just are. Um, I know that their 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 numbers in Big Twelve play don't show that, but look, this is a team in for the season offensive eighty one percentile, the top eighty one percent. Defensive top eighty four percent in Big Twelve play. They're at the bottom, like it's bad, like ninth in defensive rating, ninth percentile in defensive rating, fourth percentile in, in overall, fourth in offense. They have been bad in Big Twelve play. But I just kind of wonder if getting outside of Big 12 play, even going on the road, is the kind of situation for Texas Tech to kind of just get a little bit of a boost. Just kind of the thing they need to shake off what's going on. They've got, again, they've got a big matchup against West Virginia. And again, bottom of the standings might be one of Texas Tech's best last chances for a Big 12 win. I don't think they're going to go winless this year in Big 12 play. I don't. Um, But it is a big opportunity for them to get the win. So they've got a big game that they've got to focus on before going to LSU. But I do wonder if just stepping outside of conference play for a team like Texas tech is kind of the thing they need to get things going, especially if they get this win this week over West Virginia. So I'm, I am interested in that game because while it doesn't look like it should be a good matchup, Texas tech is just, even though they're not winning, they are frustrating as hell to play against. I, th- I think this is probably going to be one of the closer matchups that we see in this Big 12 SEC challenge. I mean, you take two teams that played pretty decent up until conference play started, and then 
we see both of them struggle once they started that conference play. So I think it's going to be one of those like games where they're kind of out, not out of their comfort zone, but out of the regular season stress, I guess. And maybe they play, have a little bit more fun than normal. Um, And like I said, I think this one's going to be a lot closer than some of the other games we see. Maddie, before um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to let you take the Arkansas question. That way I don't talk about my alma mater because I went on a rant last week about them. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and take the TCU Mississippi State question. I'll let you hit the Arkansas Baylor one. TCU. Now they're coming off a huge, huge win at the fog this week. Earlier this season, like I, I didn't know what to think about TCU. It seemed like they were looking like they were going to be a great team and then they fell completely off the map. And then now they're sitting here upsetting, upsetting Kansas on the road. They're facing a Mississippi state team. That's very good down low with Tulu Smith, but they're really struggling in conference play. Do you, do you worry that this is a game that maybe the wrong TCU team shows up or maybe that, I don't know, there's a bit of a Kansas hangover for TCU coming into this Mississippi state game. Like I would expect TCU to win this one. TCU should win this one, but it does your point on which TCU team shows up. Um, the early season struggles, Mike Miles wasn't was banged up, wasn't really playing, set all that stuff aside. Because Mike Miles, Jalen Wilson right now, big 12 player of the year, front runner, yada, yada, yada. Mike Miles is legit. And and for TCU, like that win is awesome. That win came after going on the road to West Virginia and losing by nine points. Like this is part of this is welcome to the Big Twelve. This is what it's like every week. You just you got to deal with it. And I, I, I'm not. I say that not trying to be smug. Like this is just kind of the way we deal with it. Like the Big Twelve is every week. Like good luck winning on the road. It's right. really hard to do. Um, I don't. I'm not going to put too much weight in what they did against Kansas. We saw Kansas get blown out by Kentucky last year. We we've, we've seen these games happen. Uh, that's two losses in a row for Kansas. Maybe they lose a third and they still find a way to win the Big Twelve because that's. They are inevitable, if nothing else. Um, for TCU, like TCU could beat anybody in the country. Can beat anyone in the country, period. When they play as as well as they did against Kansas, if they just play as well as they can play, I mean, they dominated Kansas State last Saturday at home. I mean, they were at home, but I mean, that, that was a, a dominant win. They've had close games and they will be in close games, but like Mississippi State, they are obviously sliding. I understand it's conference play, and I'm, but I'm not going to use the like step out of conference play. Like this is one of those games that TCU should win handily. They just should. I understand it's hard to win on the road, um, but I, I'm not kidding when I say when TCU is playing their best, they can and will beat anybody in the country. So they should win this. I would also preface by saying there's always one game every year in this challenge that the Big 12 team goes into, and I'm like, they should win that. I shouldn't even have to wear it. Let's just chalk it as a win that ends up as a loss. And I'm just sitting here going, I don't know what's happening. But this is a game. I, this is one of those games that I don't even have marked on the like, can't wait to see because I just don't think it's going to be close. That, that would probably be the same assumption that I have. I don't think this one's going to be close either. Um, this is one of those that I'm circling waiting for. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm like, this is not going to be one that I'm going to enjoy watching. I got a feeling. Um, <laughs> um, go ahead, Maddie. Go ahead and ask about the hogs and the bears because I'm going to cry, you know, if, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, looking at this Arkansas Baylor game, we see two teams that had super high expectations at the beginning of the year, 
both have had games that didn't go their way that probably should have for sure. Um, you know, just looking at the stat line, we have two very similar teams, but um, I feel like their styles of play are pretty different. When you're looking at this Arkansas Baylor game, what do you focus on as a Big 12 fan coming into this Arkansas team at home? Uh, I think what's interesting is this is a strength on weakness, strength on weakness game. Arkansas's offense has been a bit of a mess as of late. I live in Arkansas. My in-laws are Arkansas fans. I follow Arkansas very closely. Um, this is an Arkansas team who obviously injuries have played a big part in it. The offense has been a bit of a mess, but they've still been good defensively. I know we we saw a game they Vanderbilt literally couldn't miss, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I still believe this is a good defensive Arkansas team whose offense is struggling. Baylor is the opposite. Um, Baylor is a good offensive team whose defense is not great. We, we keep talking about these net ratings. In conference play, Baylor is in the 98th percentile in offensive rating. Like, this is a really good offense. Their defensive rating is in the number one percent. Like, it's the bottom percentile. It's it's not it's not good. This is not a good Baylor defense. Um, so I'm really curious in this game whose strength beats whose weakness to come out on top, which is why this is one of the games I'm really interested in because I think this could be like coming into this at the beginning of the season. These are two highly ranked teams. We're very excited. This could be one of the best matchups. I still think this one may be one of the best matchups, not because it's two highly ranked teams. It's because I think it's an interesting matchup between these two teams that should be a good watch. It should be a close game and it should be one that kind of comes down to the wire at the end. I can, I can see that happening. It just depends if the Hogs actually turn that corner or not after that Ole Miss game. Because, yeah, I, I, you know what? I've said my spiel on Arkansas last week. It's, uh... You know, <laughs> as an Arkansas fan, I think another factor we need to look at is uh, who the reps are going to be for this game. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no. But, you know, I honestly, though, that's going to be a tough road environment. I do yeah. agree in Baylor. That's going to be Oh, tough. yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Texas and Tennessee. Obviously, we all know the key storyline. Rick Barnes, Tennessee, Texas. We we know the connection. Now, there's been a little bit of off-court stuff with Texas that's concerning. We've talked about it here on our show because it it's affected the coaching search and some coaches' names have popped up. From a more serious standpoint, where do you think, or not more serious standpoint, that's the wrong choice of words there. From a game standpoint, that's what I'm trying to get at. From a game standpoint, where do you see the catalyst for this game, so to speak, between the two of them? I'll say this. Yeah. Um, obviously, the stuff with Chris Beard, major issue. Um, I don't really want to dive into that again. But, you know, you lose a head coach in a situation like that at that point in the season. Many teams, no matter how talented, your season can get away from you and, and fall apart, right? Or just not go as well. Rodney Terry has done a hell of a job at Texas keeping this train on the tracks. And not just keeping a train on the tracks, but like moving well. This is still a good Texas team. Uh, they lead the Big 12 in, in total offense at 81.1 points per game. Um, there's still a good defense, as every team in the Big 12 typically is. Uh, you know, Baylor, not great right now in conference play. But like, I am... From an overall net rating, Texas is the best team in the Big 12. Now, I, I'm still not ready to pick them to win the Big 12, but I'm, I'm here's what I'm going to say. I don't know enough about 
Tennessee at this point because I have three kids four and under. So I'm doing <laughs> well enough to keep track of my own 10 teams and watch Houston, at least of the four incoming to sit here and say like, I'm really excited for this particular matchup with Tennessee. Um, but this should be, I know we're all talking about, Can- I know Kansas and Kentucky are playing. Kentucky is an absolute mess right now. Um, this is, there's a reason to me game day is going to this particular matchup because this is the best matchup of this Saturday's games um, with what should be two top 10 teams when they face off at Tennessee. There's going to be the coaching story. I don't think it's as big of a deal because of how long it's been. I am intrigued by this game because it should be, it should be good. Like this should be a damn good basketball game between a good Texas team and what I believe is a good Tennessee team. Oh, for sure. Like both teams, very, very good. Now Tennessee, they're the best net ranking and net rating in the SEC. I think they were over 33.1 last time we looked. Very good, but a large portion of that comes because of their defensive rating is outstanding. Like their offense is actually right in the middle of the pack for the SEC. But when you look at their net rating, it comes down that their defensive rating is just that far superior to everyone else. From a Texas shooting standpoint, do you think that they're going to be able to have enough firepower to overcome that defense that Tennessee has? Well, I'll say this to back up your point. I mean, Ken Palm has Tennessee as the number one ranked adjusted defense. So yeah, this is a good defensive team. I believe, yeah. I, I believe that Texas does. I mean, this is this is a this is a good Texas offense. No, Texas's defense is not ranked nearly as highly as Tennessee's. Ken Palm has them as the 24th ranked adjusted defense. It's still a top 25 defense. So I look at this and say Tennessee is the 31st ranked offense. Great. This does feel like a game where Texas's defense will can do enough to keep them in the game, and Tennessee's offense will do it, or Texas's offense will be able to do enough to 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 deal with what is gonna be. Look, fighting off really good defenses is something you just do in the Big Twelve, even if they're not all top twenty-five defenses. Like every team in the Big Twelve plays defense. Even Baylor's isn't very good; they still play defense. Like it is just it's just something that's preached aggressively in the Big Twelve. Um, and I know everyone's like, "Well, they preach it everywhere." Yeah, 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 yeah. Big 12, pain in the butt, grinds you down to your bones defense. is just what they do. I think Texas will be well-prepared to face Tennessee's really, really good defense. I think they will be fine. I I think that's going to be a fun game to watch overall. Oh, yes, um, it is. Yeah, yes, We have that one down as our game of the week, so it'll definitely be, I think, one of the more exciting matchups that we're going to see um, this week and, you know, Saturday. Um out of all the good games we have to watch, um, you know, moving on, I think for Florida, on, on. I, and, who is, who is, can I ask who is Tennessee's best deep? Like who's the best defensive player on Tennessee? I mean, that's always, I mean, I'd have to look at the exact numbers and jump into that. But if I was to pick one person out, ah, Zakai Sigler, very good on the steals portion of the game. He's, he's pretty good at that. And then I would say Julian Phillips yeah, I was plays really well around the rim, especially uh, for someone as young as he does. He's probably one of the best freshmen in the SEC. Um, it, when you pick out a singular defensive player, I mean, Viscovi is really good also on the steal. Like, it's such a team effort. Like, if on the eye test, like I said, if without the numbers right in front of me, on the eye test, it's just every – it's a wave. It is a consistent wave 
of guys playing good defense uh, over and over again. And we've, we've seen that time and time again. It's one of those, um, I think it depends on who they're playing. Because if you have, you know, the big guys in the paint, I'm definitely going to go with Julian Phillips. But if you have more of a three-point shooting team, I'm going to take Vescovy or yeah okay i'm just, i'm curious which matchups can end up on car who's texas leading scorer he's the best three-point shooter on the team um uh, i'm 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 curious what that matchup looks like car has been a lot of fun to watch it on um i'm just kind of hoping it for tennessee would be somebody who would end up guarding a guard and so if you're looking I'm for curious. the scorer on Tennessee, I would say Santiago Vescovi. On the defensive end, that's going to be more interesting. Like, yeah, who will okay. be the guy to step up tonight for Tennessee? Um, we've seen it. We've seen bench players do it on random nights for Tennessee as well. Like, even that Kentucky game, like, I know Kentucky won that one. But down low, um, Hal has put a really good game up against against Oscar. So, yeah. I mean, it was nuts. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm always interested in, in individual matchups. So, uh, that's the one I'm going to keep an eye on. Yeah, so speaking of individual matchups, I think looking at this Florida-Kansas State game, you know, just based on Kansas State and their record, how well they're doing this year, I think they're going to take this one. Tang. Tang pretty, fever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty great. but um, Tang gang, man. <laughs> I think for me, um, when we're talking about individual matchups, I think the most interesting part of this game is going to be Colin Castleton and Kevonte Johnson. Keontae Johnson, sorry. Yeah. I was trying to go good. off memory and I'm getting old. Keontae <laughs> <laughs> uh, Johnson has been, look, there was uh, about a two week stretch where we were having legitimate is Marquise Noel going to end up being the until player of the year discussions. And he's dropped back off. Cause really Keontae Johnson is the best player for Kansas state. He's been absolutely incredible. leads the team in points, uh, rebounds, field goal. Well, field goal percentage of guys that play enough, minutes that i'm gonna put them in there but though gasson does well uh and he hits 40 percent from from three so like johnson is is a guy to keep an eye on look noel here's what i'll say if noel has one of his premier games like just it's done if noel and johnson both are going off they they will win this game in a solid fashion um Noel is definitely want to keep it on. That that guy, he is very likely going to end the year as like the top assist guy at Kansas State, and he's going to do it in like a hundred fewer games than everybody else has ever done it. He is an assist machine, um, and and that duo, even if he's not scoring, him as a distributor is so valuable to Kansas State and everyone else on that team that it's why they're playing so well. They've just it's not just that you've got Johnson, who's a fantastic scorer and just a fantastic player, period. You've got Noel, who is the best assist man in the Big 12 and one of the best ones in the entire country. And if he's also hitting his shot, it's, this this won't. I, I'm not sure how much of a game this will be to watch. So let's move on real fast. Uh, this is one lightly touch on it because I do think this is going to probably be the biggest blowout of the entire thing. Oklahoma State and Ole Miss. Now, I'm not insulting Ole Miss, but they are particularly not good. Fantastic. It's been rough. And now with Morrell possibly out for this game, we don't know the exact status of his injury yet. It's not not looking more favorable going on the road to Stillwater. So for Ole Miss fans who may be listening, what do they need to know about this Oklahoma State team? 
Well, as I mentioned, they are the second best defense in the Big 12. Um, Boynton preaches defense. They play tough defense. Here's the thing. Uh, as an Oklahoma State fan, um, this is an incredible, fantastic defense. It's holding pretty much every Big 12 opponent. I think it was the 16 of its last something rather to below their season scoring average. Like they are a really good defensive team. This is not a good offensive team um, for the season. Defensive rating, 95th percentile. Uh, effective field goal percentage on defense, 99th percentile. They're really good. Uh, offensive rating the season is 25th percentile. They're just, just not great offensively. And they go through some bad stretches where they can't score. And they, for the last two games in a row, have started off the first half poorly. Um kind of found some offense. So if you're telling me that the Ole Miss team, who's not very good to begin with, might be without their leading scorer, or at least he's going to be beat up. As an Oklahoma State fan, this makes my heart happy that I might sit through a game that doesn't leave me at the end of it and having heart palpitations, hoping to goodness we're just going to get a win. I I would really enjoy a nice blowout or just a you know comfortable double-digit victory. It would, it would be uh, chicken soup for the soul. I think that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, I can understand that uh, that philosophy on it. Um, as long as Oklahoma State can beat a one three one zone, I think you're going to be in a pretty good shape playing Ole Miss. So, Kermit, Kermit uh, me. <laughs> is it, uh, uh, they've been better at shooting from the perimeter, but it's not Oklahoma State's strong suit. Just well, okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be more interesting than we think, but we'll see. Uh, Close and interesting aren't always the same thing. That's true. That's a very, very good point. All right, let's talk about the marquee matchup of the uh, of the night, and that is, of course, the Kansas Jayhawks and the Kentucky Wildcats. Always got to talk about this matchup when it comes around. Last year, of course, we know what happened in the fog. Kentucky had a great, great night. Now, Kansas and Kentucky could have easily been the national championship last year. Unfortunately, this team called St. Peter's had other plans. So my, uh, my question is, coming into this game is coming and coming into Lexington is revenge on the mind on a lot of the players from the Jayhawks this year. Uh, I mean, Kansas went on and won a national championship. So, I mean, if that's, that's still, if it's still stinging that you lost a game at home to Kansas, like me, Kentucky, then maybe, I mean, possibly, I think for Kansas, I mean, you play could, there's so much familiarity between these two programs. Like it would be one thing to say, we have to get revenge. If it was like they play off enough, it's, it's kind of a rivalry, but it's not really a rivalry. It's just, it's just two of the biggest programs, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's a weird thing. Like there's familiarity there, obviously, because they play almost every single year. all the time. And maybe I'd be wrong. And Kansas fans are going to hear this and come into my DMS and just, be, how do you not call it a rivalry? It's like, well, but not like a, like a heated, hated, we hate those guys where you have like, yeah, everyone hates Kentucky, whatever. Uh, it's just, every, you know, it's just the thing you do. I don't know. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. This is a situation where Kansas is like, we've got to, we've got to make up from last year. Like maybe it gets brought up. Maybe. But Kansas gets got blown out at home, but to TCU, is that going to make the TCU game? A, we got to, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is Kansas. So to me, first of all, I, from what I understand of Kentucky, uh, everything ain't great in Lexington. Uh, no, it's so, not right now. And I was going to actually continue on this conversation with that. So 
Kentucky's now won three in a row. They've got a little bit of momentum, but like their wins haven't exactly been stellar outside of beating Tennessee and TBA. So, I mean, with the new lineup situation and kind of cutting down the minutes on Savar Wheeler, my question is really Oscar Shibway has become a bigger focal point on the offensive end. And we saw him play some great minutes on Georgia. How are the Jayhawks down low? Like defensively, how how are they down low? Oh, defensively. I was like, uh, defensively? Yes. I mean, defense. they got blasted by TCU, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, like that TCU just did everything they want inside. Part of that was like TCU just had a crazy big game where they just they think that at one point in the first half they were shooting like 83%, um, which is stupid and not repeatable. Uh, for Kansas, here's what I'd say. This is a good defensive team. They're typically good in the paint. Um, I don't think they're as good defensively inside as they have been in previous years. But Kansas State, or Kansas and Bill Self always have, someone's getting rid of me for that, um, always have somebody inside who is solid and always have good interior defensive play. I'm having a hard time with this team because this is still a good Kansas team. And like I said, Kansas is inevitable, which is partially a joke and also very true. <laughs> but this, this is not last year's Kansas team. They're just, they're not. Um, I, I I can't, I can't quite figure it out. I mean, look, look you got Jalen Wilson. He's fantastic. Uh, 21 points a game. Him and KJ Adams will do well inside. I just, I don't think the same can be said about this Kentucky team, obviously. So we have two teams that aren't where people think that they should be, uh, you know, with Kansas coming off of those two losses and Kentucky's finally getting some, making up some ground um, that they lost. So I can't decide who's going to want this game more. Is it going to be Kansas to kind of redeem themselves or Kentucky to prove, yeah, we we're still going somewhere. I mean, Kansas has what? I think Baylor this week. So they're a road game at Baylor this week before going to Kentucky. That game's on Monday, so they got plenty of time before they get there. Um, Here's what I would say. Uh, If you're Kentucky, you really hope Baylor doesn't beat Kansas because Kansas off of a three-game losing streak is not a Kansas you want to face. Um, I've seen them with three-game losing streaks. They don't go to four. (laughs) (laughs) They don't. Uh, so, um, I man, this it, in name, this is a great matchup. It, based off what we've seen this season, I'll pick Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll totally under. I understand where you're coming from. Those three game losing streaks don't happen very often in Kansas, and they definitely do not go to four. I used to cover the Jayhawks a little bit when I worked for KCTV up in Kansas City. So. The weirdest thing to me about that culture up there with the Jayhawks is that the Chiefs were good one year. And we're sitting there working on stories for the Chiefs. And I just remember a couple of KU alumni just running through like, why are we talking about the Chiefs tonight? It's opening night for Kansas. They're they're playing Washburn State University or something like that. And I was like, who cares? <laughs> like the culture up there is nuts. It, it's a crazy mm-hmm. environment. And I know Jayhawk fans are extremely passionate. I expect them to travel also to Rub. But yeah, oh, the, yeah, I remember my years of sitting up there and watching the Jayhawks. Like, yeah, I didn't remember three game losing streaks at all. <laughs> sitting there in the newsroom with them. I'll say this last note: Jalen Wilson, 
he's going to do well. He'll be fine. He'll dominate. Um, Grady Dick has been a fantastic three-point shooter until these last couple of games. Uh, he has not been good from three. Um, 25% against TCU, 12% against Kansas State. He's he's not been what we have expected from Grady Dick so far this season. Um, so I do think this game, because of how important Jalen Wilson is and because of how important Grady Dick has been offensively for them, if he's hitting again, if he's found his shot, can't just win comfortably, it'll be fine. If he's still having issues from the perimeter, it could be closer than maybe we would expect given how Kentucky has been playing this season. It makes total sense to me. All right, Phil, I, I want to go ahead and wrap this show up tonight. It, it's been a blast talking to you and get to know these uh, these teams that we'll be facing this weekend a little bit better. Uh, can you tell everybody where, the, where they can find you at and where they can find some of the great shows that you have? We probably got some folks listening. I believe last time I looked at the numbers, we got folks listening in Texas and stuff. So I'm sure they're especially interested in finding out like some podcasts and also some folks over in Oklahoma and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are the 1012 Network, 1012 Podcast Network. We cover all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. You can find every show in the network at 1012network.com. It's T-E-N-1-2, the word network. Uh, we're 1012 Network on Twitter. Uh, you can find every show. We got – We are, the goal is to have a show for every school that will be in the new look 12-team Big 12 by July 1 when the four newcomers officially uh, make it official. Uh, we're almost there. We're working our way to it. We're about three shy at this point. Well, that'll be a ton of fun. I mean, I mean that's going to be a fun network. And we look forward to, you know, getting Oklahoma from you. I won't Do say the, the, the other Do the we? other team I won't mention. Um, <laughs> no, I, I look forward to having Texas fans come, you know, so I can, they can listen to me rant at them at the end of every show like I always do. Um, <laughs> it, it's an they, ongoing. They're game. all yours. Yeah, yeah. They're all yours. You're, you're welcome. To <laughs> we can just take them from you. <laughs> we got rid of them once. I'm just saying. Like, not the SEC, but my school did. Um, <laughs> all right, Phil, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking really forward to this matchup. So, like, every year, I think the SEC won it last year. So, I mean, it's always a ton of fun with this. So, especially, you know, Tennessee and Texas is the one I'm the most interested in. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, these, you know, some people complain about it being midseason, but I feel like it's a good progress report if you want to call it that yeah sure. to kind of see you know we get so wrapped up in sec versus sec schools and it's a good kind of like milestone to see where your conference is matching up with another one before we get out of conference play in the postseason yeah for sure all right well i think that's going to wrap up this episode we're already running a little bit long and i got to edit this dang thing so i uh i will holler at everyone i will talk bad about texas another time um so we will probably do the talk bad about texas i'll probably after the tennessee game fingers crossed um so (laughs) all right all right we're gonna get out of here thank you guys so much yeah thanks guys enjoy your basketball this week Violet, I can feel silent
your stars have burnt out And your heart makes no sound I'll find valid in your eyes You'll always be my night sky Sound. I'll find that in your eyes. You love. 